This morning we turn in God's Word to Acts chapter 2, found on page 909 in the Bibles there in front of you, Acts chapter 2. The Word is that firm foundation of the Lord given for the establishment of our faith, the confirmation of our faith, the promises that the Lord will not desert us that He will hold on to us, never forsaking us, that He will bring us through all of the trials. This morning we talk about the coming of the Spirit and of fire. Fire can destroy, fire can uh, burn up, but fire also can refine. And in stanza four it says, When through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be your supply. The flame shall not hurt you. I only design your dross to consume, your gold to refine. We speak about that again tonight when we are going to be looking at the uh, keys of the kingdom, the preaching of the gospel, and Christian discipline, where that is brought that we might be purified in keeping with the word, in guided by the word, that we would come to a point of repentance and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and if we are to stray, that we would be receptive to being brought back by God's officers. This morning we celebrate the coming of God's Spirit on Pentecost. It is 50 days since Easter, Pentecost Sunday, the promise of Christ to His people. He had said to His disciples upon His resurrection that they were to wait for the promise of the Father, which he's, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This was the hope, this was the promise waited for uh, by the people of God, looking, longing for the coming Spirit of God, that the Word of God might be written upon the hearts of God's people. Luke records it for us here in Acts chapter 2. We'll read the first 13 verses. This is the Word of God. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And and at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. 
So far, the reading of God's own holy word may add his blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this morning. I encourage you to leave your Bibles open. We'll be looking at other verses in this second chapter and in the first chapter of the book of Acts this morning. But dear people of God, if we had to forego a celebration in the, the church year, in, in, in the year, what, what could we, what, what might we want to part with? Could we part with Christmas? Could we part with Good Friday? Could we part with Easter? Could we part with Pentecost? I think if many were to answer that question today as to which is, this is a dangerous thing to say, but which is least crucial, they would say, well, we can't live without Christmas. We can't live without Good Friday. We can't live without Easter. I guess if I have to let go of one, it'll be Pentecost. Well, dear friends, if you let go of Pentecost, (laughs) these other events are not celebrated. There could not have been a Good Friday without the advent of Christ, to be sure, without his coming, and we couldn't then celebrate Christmas. Good Friday would have been a meaningless sacrifice, Meaningless martyrdom without a victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we celebrate at Easter, but it is the coming of the Spirit, the pouring out of God's own Spirit upon His people that leads us to understand and celebrate those significant, indeed absolutely essential aspects to the life of Christ and for us, God's people. It is the Spirit who gives us faith by which we may know that the birth, death, and resurrection and ascension of Christ is for us. That we might come to the table on a Lord's Supper Sunday and remember and believe that the Lord Jesus Christ's body was given, His blood was shed for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. When Christ arose, when Christ spoke to his early disciples and then ascended into heaven, his work was not complete. He went not only to prepare a place for us, but to send the promised Holy Spirit. Indeed, the Spirit of God to live in us. And the need of the Spirit is so evident today. Pentecost must be remembered and celebrated the coming of the Lord, of the Savior, or of the Holy Spirit, rather. Without the Spirit, people have no interest in truth. That's what the Bible says. The Spirit comes to convict of truth. And there'll be some who argue, well, no, we've got laws. We've got got legislation. We've got uh, things that keep us going in the right direction. But the, the question is, upon what are those laws based? They must be based upon truth. And we can't know truth apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. Increasingly today, the laws that are, are passed are, are those which are, are, uh, the, come from the, the desires of what people want. Personal ambitions. Public opinion. What do the polls say? What direction should we go? We don't want to be on the wrong side of public opinion. 
Without the Spirit, we know not truth, and it is impossible to have an ordered society. When the Spirit is rejected, truth is rejected and gives way to personal autonomy. Laws which reveal they are based on truth are then rejected and personal feelings on political matters take their place. To illustrate that, just this past week I heard of a district attorney saying, well, if these laws, these particular laws get overturned, I'm not going to uphold them. I'm not going to prosecute them. I will only prosecute good laws. And, of course, those good laws are determined by one DA, district attorney of that particular state. Only he knows what the good laws are. When, in effect, the district attorney is to uphold the law of the land. But he knows not truth, and he refuses the truth, and therefore he does not know what is good. We need the Spirit to see truth. We need the Spirit to do the good. The church is the institution of God which stands before the world setting forth truth. If this church is not led by the Spirit of God, it will be led by some other lesser power and become something it is not called to be. The church and the people of God are those who are to be Christ's witnesses, empowered by the Spirit. It doesn't matter how sound the polity of a church is, if the Spirit is not present, there will be no life there. This Pentecost, we focus on the power that we receive from God through His Spirit. That's the theme as we look at Acts 2 this morning, receiving God's power. We look at five aspects of receiving God's power this morning. Receiving God's power in the promise of Pentecost, the posture of Pentecost, the picture of Pentecost, the preaching of Pentecost, and the practice of Pentecost. First, in the promise of Pentecost. Promise is very straightforward. Jesus declared that he was going to send power from on high. Chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses... Not somebody else's witness. My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The Spirit's given that we might be God's courageous witnesses testifying of the Lord Jesus Christ. What He has done. And that is absolutely essential in a fallen world. Hopelessly lost in sin. We're called to be God's Witnesses. It isn't a special gift of just a few. It is the call given to all. God's call. And we ask then, we ask of the Lord to give His Spirit that we might have courage. And He promises that He will give His Spirit to those who ask. 
The promise of the Spirit was given much earlier. Peter understood that as the Spirit came upon Pentecost, or there at that Pentecost, he quotes the prophet Joel. Let me read some of those verses there. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 16. When the people are asking what exactly is going on, Peter says, this is the fulfillment of what was uttered by the prophet Joel. Verse 17, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. You remember how Moses was looking forward to that, wasn't he? When, when there were those who were prophesying in the camp and others came to them and said, what are you, uh, what are you doing, Moses? You should stop them. He says, oh, I, it, oh, were it that all would prophesy, all would speak truth, all would teach in keeping according to God's commands. That's the sense of the word here, the word prophesy. Then verse 19, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. Speaking of that darkness that Jesus experienced there upon the cross, this must come before that last, those last days where the Lord would pour out his spirit the promised Holy Spirit. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This promise would go to the nations. God promises that he will pour out his spirit, draw people to himself to be saved through Jesus, his son. It's by the spirit's work in us that we recognize that and that we then hear our Lord's call, our Savior's call to come to the table to receive by faith the bread and the wine that we might be united to Him and assured of eternal life. We celebrate God's work in us that we might turn from trusting in ourselves to trusting in the Lord who is our life. The promise of Pentecost, the posture of Pentecost. Secondly, this morning, These early disciples had been brought together in Christ and they desired to receive God's power. They they showed this by the way that they acted, by the posture that they took. Look at what look at four of the four of those things that we see uh, here this morning. God's power comes where there is a posture of community. They're gathered together all in one place. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, they're gathered together. You can't go it alone in the Christian life. We need it more today than ever. The, the, the community of faith where we're being attacked uh, and ostracized by the, the larger uh, world. We need each other to be encouraging each other all the more as we see the day approaching. We heard it in the call to worship this morning. Today, polls are taken where there's a high percentage of Americans who consider themselves believers. When you add to that, those who, uh, if they're asked whether they have a deep spirituality, the numbers go up even further. And yet, church attendance is plummeting. And you say, now which part of the book of Acts are they not getting? Which part of the Word of God do they not understand? And we must say that to ourselves. Which, which part of that communal gathering are we seeing as not so very important? That we can come or not come. 
Where God's power is poured out, it is where people understand the importance of gathering together. The Spirit brings believers together in Christ where they are built up, where they are encouraged. We're going to hear about it tonight, preaching, preaching the gospel. How important that is for our faith. How important we need, we, that is for us to hear every week because we will walk away from it just as quickly on Monday morning as we walk away from our homes to go to work. We need to be reminded. We'll be bombarded Monday through Saturday, and if we are letting that in on Sunday, on Sunday as well, the message of the, the culture which says it doesn't really matter. You come from nothing. You're going to nothing. You have no purpose. You have no meaning. And we're, we hear about violence, and we hear about a hopelessness and despair, and we say, how is that happening? It's happening because people are not seeing that their only hope is in Jesus Christ. They have things that are more important, pursuing other things, other activities, which are all very good in their place. But if they trump the importance of gathering together, they are crowding out the voice of God. In Hebrews 10, we read it, but let me read it again. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day is closer today, and it gets closer and closer. And where will we be? Gathering with God's people? Or determining that there are more important things in life, different stages in life, which cause that interest to ebb and to flow? Well, that firstly, the community. Secondly, the prayer. We pray individually, and that is important. We can't, uh, we we are to be praying individually, but we also pray corporately. They're gathered together, Acts 1.14 says, and they are devoting themselves to prayer. 2.42 says the same thing. They're gathering themselves and they're devoting themselves to prayer. It is there where God shows His power, where the people pray. Chapter 4, verse 31, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. There it is, all wrapped together. Gathered together, praying and wanting to witness. What are some of the things corporate prayer does for us? Corporate prayer should remind us of who God is. We should not just pray, Lord, give, 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 give. We should also pray, Lord, we magnify you for who you are. We remember who God is. That helps us to face the world where there are things happening that seem so beyond our control. We need to be reminded that God is above all of it. And when we come together, we remember the needs of those around us so that we might be united together, remembering the weaknesses and the troubles and the trials, the joys as well. We rejoice with those who rejoice. 
Mourn with those who mourn. But remembering, too, where God is needed. And when we see answered prayer, we are led further to pray more because we see how God answers. We need to see where he must work. And we then, as we do see him work, we are to give thanks together. Community, prayer, thirdly, Bible study. Between the ascension of Jesus and Pentecost, this group of 120 heard the Scriptures taught. Peter was explaining to them the Old Testament that God's control and faithfulness would be understood in the events that had taken place. Chapter 1, verse 16, he says this, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. He says this betrayal was predicted. Understand the word. This is not outside of God's control. This is very much under his control. Indeed, it was necessary. They were learning. They were studying God's word. And then fourthly, patience. We often miss this dimension in our immediate gratification age. I know I get very impatient when projects are done and they take way longer than you think they're going to take or you find yourself studying something and it takes far too long to understand it and you think, well, forget it. If it's that hard, it's not worth it. But we need that patience. And that is exhibited here by the people. And that is in a keeping with Jesus' word, Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he says to, the, to the, his disciples that they were not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Well, that is no less true now, brothers and sisters, that we are to be waiting for Christ's return. Because that command has been given too. Wait. Don't press it forth. Don't force the kingdom. Don't say, well, we've got to make, we gotta make this, this earth heaven. we're called to is to proclaim Christ that those around us might hear, believe, and be brought into the kingdom, glorifying Christ on the day of his visitation, the day when he comes. Waiting is not a posture we hold easily. We want things now. In particular, when things go wrong, we often stop praying and start blaming God. Why do we have to wait? Why? What's the purpose in this? And the Lord says, well, if you'd ask that question really wanting the answer instead of demanding that I change things, you might actually hear what I have in this for you. The purpose. But we forget that God uses these things which are so puzzling to us to actually get our attention. Elizabeth Elliot, many of you know, a missionary to Ecuador, told her story some years after she returned from the mission field. She had much tragedy in her life. Even in the very first year of the mission work there in Ecuador, she said there were three major blows to her faith. The first was that the informant who helped uh, her with the native language was murdered right as she was starting. Second, all of the language materials that she had stored up were stolen And then third, the mission station on which her fiancé, Jim Elliott, had been working washed down the river in a flood just in the first year. That's, That's a pretty rocky start. 
And she looked back on these things and along with the many other tragedies that she went through, now beyond them talking, among them, them the murder of her husband Jim, the death of her second husband. But she looked at these tests and declared that her commitment was to wait upon the Lord. She said, when I was 12 years old, that was my, that was my prayer to the Lord. That was my call to him. She said this, when I was 12 years old, I told the Lord that I wanted him to work out his will in my life at any cost. When he said about doing that, I was amazed. The will of God is never exactly what you expect it to be. It may seem to be much worse, but in the end, it's going to be a lot better and a lot bigger. The posture we must take when we desire God to work powerfully in us must include regular spirit-filled worship with other believers. It must include prayer. It must include study of God's Word. And it must exhibit a patience with an awareness that God's timing and ways are not our own. Thirdly, the picture of Pentecost, where God's power is received, we see evidence in this text of how God is present in power in the picture. The word Pentecost means the 50th. It's also called the Feast of Weeks because it followed Uh, Passover by uh, seven weeks of seven days. Seven times seven children. How much is that? Seven times seven? Forty-nine. I heard some of the older children answer that one. Forty-nine. And then, of course, that day after is 50, from which we get that word Pentecost, the 50th. The feast had two main significances. First off, it was remembered that it was this length of time, this period of time that it took the Israelites to get to Mount Sinai to receive the law of God. God was giving his word. God was teaching. God was showing them what he wanted them to do, summarizing his law, declaring those two tables, the relationship toward him and relationship toward their fellow Man. And secondly, it had a, an agricultural significance in that at Pentecost, or at, rather at Passover, the first of the barley harvest was offered to God, and two loaves were offered in gratitude for the first of the harvest. Pointing to that Pentecost harvest that God was bringing about through the coming of his spirit. The city was filled, we read here in Acts chapter 2, with God-fearing Jews from all the nations celebrating the beginning of harvest when they heard the sound of rushing wind at Pentecost, verse 6, they came together bewildered to figure out what in the world this meant. There were some amazed and perplexed, verse 12 tells us, saying to to one another, what does this mean? Consider the picture, the Hebrew word for spirit, Uh, for wind, is the same. Ruach. The wind had been an emblem of the Spirit of God in the history of the Hebrew people. The wind of God was present at creation. We read it in Genesis chapter 1, or Genesis 1 verse 2. And Ezekiel, prophet, spoke of the wind of God, which would bring a dejected and defeated people back to life, the valley of dry bones, the wind blowing. Jesus used the image when he was talking to Nicodemus, talking about the Spirit as the wind, speaking of being born again. The wind, which blew in the upper room then, 
revealed the presence of divine power. That is the picture here, the divine power of God coming upon the people. We see fire is also part of that picture. Verse 3 tells us that, a, that divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. As I said earlier, fire can and does destroy, but it also refines. And that is the, the picture here. did not consume these people, but enabled them to speak, enabled them to understand the truth. The Spirit enlivened, enlightened them present to enliven and give understanding that Peter could see what was taking place was the fulfillment of what the prophet Joel had prophesied. And then this third picture of tongues there in verse 4, or verse 3 rather still, the divided tongues of fire. The apostles were unable to speak in different languages so that all gathered could understand. Here we see the reversal of the curse of the Tower of of Babel, bringing in of people from the nations promised in the prophets of old that the nations would come in. Hearing the preached word and being enlivened by it. God's promise. God sends His power. And we see how this works in this picture Well, then we move on to that preaching of the Word. We see God's power received in the preaching of Pentecost. Fourthly, this morning, God's power comes through faithful preaching. His Word is powerful. It's foolishness to the world, but it is the power of God unto those who believe. They understand, the people of God understand what God is teaching. That new life needs to be given and that God provides that through His Spirit pointing us to Christ. We celebrate the Spirit of God who enables us to see the power of God in the cross of Christ, which is foolishness to the world. Wherever the glory of the cross is recognized, it is there that we can truly say that God's power is received. Where that focus is rightly centered upon where God would have us to look. Peter's sermon includes four aspects of preaching that God uses. First announcement, Peter announces what is taking place, verses 22 uh, through 36. He says, men of Israel, hear the words, these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This Jesus God raised up, of that we are witnesses. This Jesus, whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. We need to know the plain facts. People say today, you keep invoking God, you Christians. You can't look at anything without invoking God. No, because there is nothing, there is no reality apart from God. It comes from Him, it flows from Him, and it testifies to Him. It speaks of Him. We can't be political. People say, you're being, you're being, we want you to be political. Well, our political life, our way of ordering things comes from our understanding of the world. And at one time in this nation, that was very clear. It was ordered by God. And as such, it informed our laws. And we would live in keeping with that. 
we need to state very clearly, thus says the Lord, statement of the facts of the Christian message which, over which there can be no denial. Secondly, the teaching. Peter explains what, is, uh, what this means. The significance of the facts which have been proclaimed need to be explained. And Peter does that. Again, in these verses, he explains that Jesus is delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God in keeping with His plan, in keeping with His way that sinners might be saved through His atoning death. He says that this Jesus God raised up He's exalted at the right hand of God, verse 33, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, which He has poured out. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. This Jesus God has made both Lord and Christ. Understand what is taking place in His death and His resurrection and His ascension. It is enthronement. He sits at God's right hand waiting the day when He will come again to declare complete victory. Thirdly, exhortation. The call to respond then to this announcement and teaching. It's not merely an intellectual, well, here are the facts that just so you have some information about Christianity, there is an exhortation. Believe this one. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that you might find forgiveness from your sins, that you might know the hope of everlasting life, that the curse of sin might be broken in your life as well as the power. And then finally, the application. We oftentimes think of application as, well, okay, what seven things must I do? What, give me some good application. But, in, but, in, but often the application is this. This is what Christ has, this is always the application ultimately. This is what Christ has done. Now you have comfort. This is the application. You have comfort and assurance that your, that your eternity is secure. Nothing can defeat Christ, nothing can render this plan null and void. We must not miss the application, this particular application of the comfort, the assurance of salvation that the proclamation of the gospel brings to our souls. Here, Peter's main focus was proclamation. What they were seeing was the fulfillment of what the prophet Joel and others had predicted would occur when the last days were upon them. He quotes from David who prophesied the resurrection of Jesus. David said of him, verse 25, I saw the Lord always before me for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Who is he speaking of? He goes on, brothers, I may say, I must say, or I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. 
For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. The work has been accomplished. The Spirit of God opened the eyes of those gathered there and their ears to hear and they were moved to respond and Peter told them what they were to do. God's power is seen through the preached word. He brings people into the family of God through the word of His Spirit. It says in verse 41, 3,000 souls were added to them that day. And then fifthly this morning, the practice of Pentecost. Review of the practices of the body of believers where God's power has been received are seen here. The practice of the Pentecostal, that is the Spirit-filled church, are seen here. We were discussing that this morning at breakfast. Are we Pentecostals? And I said, we most certainly are. Absolutely. Simply because one puts it on their sign and claims that they alone have the, the corner on the Spirit does not make it so. All who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are those who have been moved by the Spirit who came at Pentecost and therefore are, in that sense, Pentecostal. And we see what that looks like in the practice. Something of a review. It's almost as if Luke says, we want to, you need to hear this again. I'm going to summarize what I've already said. Look at verses 42 to 47. What did they devote themselves to? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So they were a learning church. Where the Spirit comes, we don't have anti-intellectualism. Oh, I just feel it. Or I just have this, I have this, this, this feeling, this emotion. A Spirit-filled church is a biblical church devoted to the apostles' teaching. 3,000 joined the already 120 disciples. It is a learning church. A secondly, a caring church. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They saw everything that, was, that they had was God's and given to them to use in service to others, and they shared with each other. I don't have time to look at all what that means this morning, but it's there. And then they're a worshiping church. They met together, devoted themselves to the teaching, the fellowship, and the breaking of bread and the prayers. They worship, their worship was both joyful and Dignified. It was celebrative and reverent. And they were, fourthly and lastly, an evangelizing church. The teaching that nourished the believers was balanced by a continued emphasis on the call to repentance and faith. And verse 47 says, The Lord, and because of that, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. There's your church growth strategy preach the gospel. Declare the truth. And God draws people to himself. He is there powerfully. Heard something this week, or last week, when I was up in Michigan, very interesting. There's a church that is planting churches. And each time they send off 100 people to plant the new church. They have planted five churches. And the home church hasn't lost any 
in size. Everything that they have sent out has been regained and more. Their attendance is bigger than it was when, before they planted the first church because they are seeking to be faithful, trusting that God will build his church as they are faithful to spread the gospel and provide a place of worship. God comes in power where these things are true. He transforms hearts and desires. When he gives us his spirit, we crave more of him. And as we come to the table this morning, we do so as a result of God's spirit working in us to unite us to Christ, that in him we might find nourishment. Without Pentecost, we can't know this life. Without the spirit, we can't understand this life. We can't experience this life. Therefore, we are to remember to believe, and to give thanks for that great gift of the Spirit. Let's do that now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Spirit, your power poured out, for the way that you clearly lay out where your power is present, what it looks like, how we should pray, what we should strive for, the steps of faith that we should take. Oh, Lord, make us a Pentecostal people. Spirit-filled, those who desire you more and more, who want to know truth, not just empty our minds to have some experience, but to fill our minds that our hearts might be overflowing with joy and thanksgiving to you. As we come now to the table, may we rejoice in that which you have given to us, life in Christ as you unite us to him by your spirit. Receive our thanks and hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.